Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Founders Club podcast. My guest today is Alvaro Montoya from CEO and founder of Acado. Hello, Alvaro. How are you? Hi. Hello. I was looking forward to have you on the podcast for quite some time because I remember when, and I'm not sure if you do remember, but the first time we crossed our path was in uh, Shanghai. And it was a pitch competition, it was tech compi- uh, pitch uh, competition organized by one of our common friends, uh, Marin. Do, do you remember? And actually, you arrived the second or you arrived the first in that competition. Do you remember that uh, event or not really? I, I think now I remember. Um, is I, the one in Explorium in Shanghai and you guys pitched, no? You and another guy. Yeah, yeah. Giuseppe, uh, he pitched uh, our company. Yeah, exactly. And then later at the end, I think we pitch as well. Uh, I went to the, the stage. Yeah, yeah, you I mean, actually guys won, I think, or arrived second. Uh, I don't recall exactly. And then we, yeah. then we got in touch and like we exchanged WeChat as uh, <laughs> people do usually in China uh, really easily. So yeah, I was, I was looking forward to have you on the podcast and for a few different months already. And uh, I think now the time has come to, to do it. Uh, all right, so um, before uh, talking about Akado and what is Akado, the, the, the company that you founded and where you are the CEO. Co- co-founded. Right, I, I didn't Ex- exactly, yeah. co-founded. Um, you, you, before you started different uh, ventures and uh, trying to solve different kind of problems and one of them was uh, learning Chinese. Can you talk more about the previous uh, ventures or problems that you try to focus on I'd like to know more about the journey oh well, how do you know that actually <laughs> I told you I did my proper research <laughs> uh, yeah I, it was my first mobile application that I tried to do it wasn't Windows mobile so you can imagine long time ago and was when I was already when I already decided to come to China then I joined this Chinese course, Chinese, but I was so into it that I needed to build something to make me learn faster, to practice. So, yeah, I think it was at that time uh, Windows Studio, this this platform to do programs for Windows Mobile. So I started to do like, um, do like uh, it was a, a mobile application that you can have all the words, characters uh, in Chinese. Uh, every time you fail, it is recorded. So I made it that randomly it pops up again for the ones that I failed the most. All so right. it's forcing me to practice. And yeah, but it was just a prototype. It worked for me. So I used it to learn. And then I asked, I remember I did it in a summer. And even it was a summer in the South that people went to the beach, but I was on the balcony looking at the beach, but uh, doing this in C sharp, even in C sharp, huh? I did uh, this, this prototype. When it becomes September, October, I went back to the school to tell them if they wanted. How did how so you were learning Chinese in school, university, or how 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 did it all? I don't that... know. It was it was like a extracurricular class that I joined in the evenings, twice per week, and during the weekends, just to improve my Chinese because I had applied to do my master thesis in China already. So before going to China, I was thinking, well, I still have one year, then let's learn Chinese as much as I can. So 
like a little bit more. Yeah, uh, to be honest, I see a pattern already talking, you know, in different entrepreneurs in China that uh, try that. Uh, build a kind of a software company recently that more many of them you're probably are the third or the fourth that start with solving his own problem and most of this time this problem is like how can i learn chinese faster so you're actually the fourth one i think that uh, start with it with this uh, with this in mind have you have you have you actually mastered uh, at the end or what was the the learning uh, journey of Mandarin language for you more or less? Oh yeah, I in that year I got this. Well, I don't know if that's it, but it's HSK two, very low <laughs> level, but for me very proud. Huh? Uh, I got HSK two and then came to China and then I came when I did my master thesis, it is nine years ago. My master thesis, um, I had to do also intensive Chinese course. But that is another level because I'm already in China, I'm already in the campus, and it's not two hours twice per week, it's every day five hours. Mm -hmm. I have reading class, writing class, a speaking class, and some other class. And then then was my first year that my Chinese improved even more. And luckily, when I was leaving, there was the, the Korean community as well. So I got many Korean friends that they didn't know speak English. That was good as well. So sometimes we communicate in Chinese. So it was more with the Asian community that we had as a common language Chinese. And that helped me a lot. At least my first year, I think it, it jumped. My, my Chinese improved. Yeah, exactly. Uh, if you, well, the thing is about learning Mandarin in China, it's it, 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 the, the degree of success depends on where exactly you are located most of the time. So if you live in Shanghai or one of these big, where, where there is a big uh, uh, number of expats respect to other kind of cities, um, the, and you stay in this kind of a bubble, the, the degree of success that you're going to have in learning Chinese is pretty low. Whereas maybe people in Europe, uh, Beijing, as I, I, I recall, People there actually expats who live in Beijing are way better than expats who in, live in Shanghai or uh, uh, this place, you know. So I'm amazed. <laughs> um, but yeah, but it, it depends in the in the what are your intentions? Because I remember before coming to Beijing, I knew back in Barcelona one lady that had been also in Beijing doing exchange uh, master thesis for one year. And I remember she told me, if you come, go to this university, there is one floor in the dorm full of Spanish people. You're going to have a lot of parties. And I was thinking, wow, perfect. That is exactly where I don't want to go. That's why I didn't, I didn't choose maybe the biggest universities from my list. I choose the ones that was less famous where people would say, wow, man, here there are not many Europeans. It's only Asian people. Then I was applying that I want to go there. Luckily, not many people applied, so then I, I got what I wanted, actually. I, I think it's more Asian environment, which is completely different than Barcelona environment. No. Right, that's, it. that's yeah. quite interesting. So, um, was was during the university years that the idea of Akado came to you? And uh, would, I'd like to know where this idea came from and maybe you can give us a, a pitch of what is exactly Akado and how you found your co-founders as well. Oh, Akado uh, came 
many years later, because after I, I finished my my master thesis in in the in the in the university in Beijing, I just, then I started to work. So I was like four years, five years working. Uh, then I joined an MBA in Tsinghua University, and then is studying the MBA where the idea came of Hakao. It was obvious it would come something because the reason I joined the MBA was I saw the brochure where they were just talking about innovation and startup. No, and Tsinghua is, a, well, I, I guess you know, but maybe for people that doesn't know, Tsinghua is a, is a well-known university in Beijing, a very big, and they have many, also many uh, uh, competitions, hackathons, or at least that was my focus. I, I went, I joined the MBA with that focus. And literally, I joined so many competitions. I met so many people that, it, it showed me, I learned a lot about the startup ecosystem uh, in, the, in the MBA actually. And that is where there was one uh, competition sponsored by Facebook uh, uh, that they requested that any participant had to build something. It's not just a pitch or a PPT, you have to actually build a prototype. So that's why they ask if you are from a finance or finance background, uh, find some friends for this competition that are engineers. So it was very good. I, I like it a lot. And it was in that one that uh, first Akadu started. And now very different than the current Akadu because it was more like an AI solution and a speech engine. And, uh, and then with that prototype, even I remember I have a picture when I was on the final, I, I had a, to have a microphone. It, was, it, it wasn't a speech engine, so I had to, to talk. And then the, the program can recognize my voice and translate it. So it was kind of, AI subtitles on the screen, and I was in the final. I started my pitch in Spanish, and I wanted everyone to read the Chinese subtitles. And the funny thing is that um, even the microphone, I remember, was a karaoke microphone that I had from my Singer Star. Did you know that the, 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 this, this PlayStation okay, Singer Star? Yeah. You could sing. So yeah, I brought it with me from Barcelona 10 years ago, and it is the only thing I have handy at that moment. So I will use this. It's a pink, a pink or red microphone that I use. And yeah, with that, with that uh, microphone and, and that pitch, uh, uh, we got like the second position and, and then got good feedback, uh, a lot of encouragement. Also the accelerator of the university said, Alvaro, maybe you should register uh, and join us and maybe we can help you to accelerate, to, to incubate you. And, that's, and that was the beginning. That's very interesting because uh, I think for who doesn't know, uh, Tsinghua University is one of the leading Chinese university, maybe also in Asia. It's more or less like a Stanford of the US, I would say comparable probably. And if I don't recall, Mark Zuckerberg did a speech in Mandarin in 2014 uh, over there. So that's when he, he brought Facebook uh, in that ecosystem. And was it around that uh, area that Facebook pushed these kind of hackathons or was it like before or, early or later on? After, after, but but, sti but still, uh, Zuckerberg came again uh, and to see the the project as well. Okay, so you didn't have the chance to pitch in front of him <laughs> in Chinese, in <laughs> proper Chinese. <laughs> no, at the end I couldn't, I couldn't, because he came after the competition, and then they, I think they selected again some groups to some startups to pitch to him. Uh, our ones was not selected, but it's okay. Uh, I, I uh, was sitting behind him actually. 
Oh, that's interesting. Uh, and uh, have you, is, is there another place where you found, where you met your co-founders, or where did you exactly met your co-founders? How you choose? No. Or do they choose you, or you choose them? Or? Um, that was later because that competition was in May. Then becomes June, which was the MBA final exams, very hard. And then becomes uh, summer, July, August where uh, I was mainly working on the prototype now because I made a decision to, to maybe let's let's do it no let's try to build something on top of this and then the summer was more coding yes coding and then it became September October where I started to go to events in Beijing there are in Beijing there are many events uh, startup related so I start to join them and to ask the organizers, can I for free just put subtitles so then if somebody speaking English, Chinese audience can understand, or the other way around, you can invite a Chinese speaker and foreign audience can understand. And I always ask the organizers that allow me to do this, like, can you at the end give me two minutes? I just need to do a small, small pitch. I want to explain what I'm doing if somebody wants to join me. So I used to do this during two months in the events. And no one approached me actually, but that's normal. Uh, but but then one one organizer, especially the director of a startup grind, this one community, uh, he remembered me. Remembers me. So one day he texted me and he said, "Hey, Avaro, there is a, a Finnish guy that is living here in Beijing, and he also uh, studied uh, about uh, processing, signal processing, machine learning. So why don't you have a beer with him?" And I had a beer uh, with him, and, and that's how I met him. And he, he had his own idea as well. Uh, so I, he was pitching his idea, I was pitching to him my idea. And, and then I, I remember he went and traveled, traveled Southeast Asia for like two months, like a long trip. Uh, but I, I was keeping, keeping him updated about new things, maybe uh, uh, updates that I was doing in the, in the solution. Like, for example, at first it was a program, but then I put it into a website. Oh, it was then I changed to JavaScript. Uh, put it into a, a website, how to get subtitles through just a, a web page. And, and then yeah, he came back, and when he came back, he said, hey, let's do it together. Then we started seriously to work together. Not at my place anymore, I was always working at home. Now with him, we're trying to find some accelerator, like uh, we, we could work together. And that was the beginning, how I found him. Now, the, regarding the other co-founders, it was all in events, because I still was going to events, to show the subtitles and to pitch a little bit. And then one lady approached me, then she's another co-founder, uh, she's Chinese and she's studying interpretation. And she, so she was challenging the technology. Mm -hmm. Like you can, it's difficult, you can replace human interpreters because and she had many interesting arguments. I was thinking, wow, she's very interesting. So why don't you come to her office to explain to me and to the other co-founder as well. And that's when we realized, hey, we like her, then we talk, why don't you do your startup journey with us? Mm -hmm. Then she joined us. Mm -hmm. Then I met in another event, the front-end developer, the back-end developer, all in events. Yeah, yeah I, can, I can see something, we, we have done something similar. Uh, like one of, for example, uh, our leading chief teacher is, we met him in, uh, in also one event of uh, related startups and <laughs> Yeah, I think it was an event aggregates uh, all the innovators, early adopters of technology, and that's the best place where all these startups come together and all the people interested in startups, uh, you can go there and find them. Um, and going back to from the early prototype 
to the current version of the app. You've been through many iterations. You got many feedback from the market. Would you, what was the process of, of going from A to B? Because it's never linear. It's a lot of ups and downs, a lot of learnings going on. So would you, would you tell more about the iteration you've been through and the learnings you had on the way? So when we were offering subtitles for free, it was fun because it was free. So there was not too much expectation. But still, we get good feedback and adopters not from the audience. But then one day we decided to charge. Then not like a startup, if somebody really value your product, they pay for it. What is the and business then, model behind it? Like how did you used to charge? Oh, so we just, uh, so I, we, we had a cost, uh, the cost, for example, for the, for the, translation API. So we were more focused on the speech engine uh, mm -hmm. to make it customized, but the translation API was another uh, the party. So we calculate our costs and then we just, just, we just put a price. Also, thanks to our co-founder that she comes from the translation industry, so we knew the prices of the current simultaneous interpretations in the market. Then mm -hmm. as long as we could be one fraction of that, then it's already very, very competitive. So we start to charge, and what we notice is when you start to charge, the expectations become very high because people is paying for it. Then your translation better to be accurate. And the problem is that uh, we had this speech engine that was customized. So for example, uh, I have on a speaker, I record the voice of the speaker, I train the machine with this exact voice. Then when this speaker talks, the machine is very accurate. It's very, very accurate because I already know terminologies, proper nouns, cities, and everything for that speaker. Uh, but the problem is that we never had a client that was just one speaker. There was always, okay, and now we come this roadshow of startups, 14 startups from Finland. I think, wow, I need now audios of these guys, but we can never get audios of these guys to train the machine. Okay, so because you, you need the audio to train the machine before, which takes some time and some, some data, right? Or... Yeah, basically we need a script, we need words, you know, and also the, to listen to the pronunciation, so everyone pronounced different. Okay. Uh, and the, then, of course, we couldn't train the machine, then sometimes there were very big mistakes on the big script. <laughs> and, and we had to reset button, reset button, so to reset the, the translation. Uh, what was that? Do, do, you, do, you recall, do, do you recall any awkward mistake happening in one of the, those early yeah, days? Of course, of course, like insults sometimes, <laughs> so very bad words that shouldn't be on the screen because nobody said that. So, so yeah, uh, then, then there was one moment, we said up and down, it was a very big down. Uh, it was in Shanghai, it was our first business trip. We were three only, the three, the whole team three, we went to Shanghai on first business trip. Everything paid because the client was paying for the solution. And then it was very bad, uh, the, it was not accurate. Uh, or not what they expected. I, I, I knew this would happen because it was 14 teams. Uh, I didn't have time to prepare. And every team is gonna pitch their own startup, which every name first is already a proper noun that the machine doesn't know. It's like, for example, Akado, if I tell now, Google speech engine or anyone, I say, hello, I'm from Akadu, most probably doesn't know how to write Akadu, A-K-K-A-D-U. So that I already could forecast. Yeah, the client didn't like it. Uh, the client was upset, didn't want to pay, at the end paid, but the client was also an interpreter before. 
So he kind of encouraged us at the end. Right. Listen, look, guys. He understood the pain. Right. That journey, you just need to find a solution. And it was in that moment that when we were going back to Beijing, we were already brainstorming like we need to change something. And then at the end, we decided, hey, why we need to replace the human interpreter? Why? When the human still is better than the machine, because the human would never do the mistakes that the machine did that day. And some of them are obvious, you know. Just that the human will look at the at the proper noun of the person. I already know how to how to say it, you know. So that's why we decided to do the pivot. But uh, as a startup, before doing the pivot, we did some experiments. We start to keep show to some events, startup events related. We went back to the roots. We start to show the subtitles. But at the same time, through a, a WeChat phone call, through a QQ phone call, we start to give to some audience the voice of a human interpreter. Mm -hmm. And after the event, we, we go to them and we ask them, what do you think about the subtitles? No one read the subtitles. And I asked them, why you didn't read the subtitles on the system? Man, you just give me the, the interpreter here. It was very cool to her. I could understand, so I wanted to focus. I wanted to put my eyes into the speaker and the presentation, knowing to read it very fast. You know, so there we are like, mm, interesting, seems uh, as if I have, everyone prefers the audio. So that's why we decided, let's skip them the subtitles. Let's try to make only audio. That's what they want. And it's accurate. It's accurate. Then we did that decision. And a couple of months later, we start to have clients, paying clients, but all of them love it. And they recommend more clients, more clients, more clients. Then we realize this is seems like the right direction. So the, the insight there is like you got from your early adopters or users is by talking with them, understanding that, okay, we are kind of lazy to watch and read subtitles, but we actually like this thing of where we can actually just hear directly in our ears what the speaker is saying. That's a quite, <laughs> quite interesting. Uh, and sometimes, most of the time, uh, such insights are counterintuitive and uh, they don't form a neuron idea unless you go on the field as you did and actually test and get that uh, qualitative feedback from uh, from the users or, or end users or whoever has to pay for the product and um, so that that's the, that was kind of like the end product that you start to push forward um what what is the, what do you think is the fair advantage that uh, that Akado has is more like technological, is more like team fair adva uh, advantage, or it's something uh, something else, or is the business model itself, and how you try to scale the, the company? Um, so currently, so one of the advantage of first I think is also the, the resources of uh, interpreters. At least we have a um, I think a good. Uh, source or good quality interpreters that um, some of our clients are, are, are big ones though. It's like Harvard, Audi, uh, pharmaceutical companies. And, and they even give us a lot of good feedback and they recommend other departments as well. So they like a lot of the, the quality of the interpreters that we have. So because we always try to filter interpreters and we also just in the website we have like different levels because some interpreters are, are much more experienced than maybe someone that had just graduated so we want to be um like transparent like also our prices are open so if anyone even the interpreters itself they know how much account is charging to the client and they know how much we are paying to them so because this is something that we notice is 
bit different, and not only China, everywhere, because now we have interpreters from Mexico, from other countries and continents, and they say the same, no, that currently the maybe the interpretation industry has been always uh, not transparent, like um, a client gets a price and then doesn't know what they are paying, how much go to the translation company, how much go to the interpreters, and sometimes that doesn't know that much the interpreter's level, yeah, the good, bad experience. Right. So if this is something that we want to make it uh, uh, transparent. So this is another difference that we have. That's what I think what made. And actually, it doesn't matter how big is your company, how small you are. If you pay for expert level, you get expert level. Right? We're not going to sell any. And that's sometimes big companies, what they tell us. They said, wow, and if a translation company knows I am this multinational company, the quotation is going to be like two times more, that's for sure. But in our case, we want to make it more internet company, you know, internet solution. Everything is there. You just see, you book what you want, and you pay what you want, and you get what you pay for. Right, that's interesting. Um, so, uh, the, the, the industry that you are in is like events industry, kind of like language and events industry. Obviously, this industry has been, has been hit hard by COVID-19. Uh, I'll let you know more. Because um, I know you had to iterate and you had to change and adapt. Uh, what was your response to this uh, crisis? Was in terms of uh, the company, the business model, or the product like itself? So when the coronavirus started, end of uh, January, February, at least in Beijing, uh, in China, in Wuhan, uh, that many events cancelled. Well, all of them, all of them cancelled. It was a big hit. So right? travel. Yeah, so suddenly, because at the beginning last, we started last year, no, to do officially our business on last year, March. So this year, so we were only focused on offline and suddenly on February, we had zero offline events. No, we were, we were having a good track, but suddenly everything cancelled. You get interaction. To, to zero. So then what to do? We don't have clients anymore. Right. But also the clients don't know what to do. But then we can see how many start shifting to online so then we just uh, uh, follow them so then we, we just uh, see which platforms they use and we manage to be able to translate these online platforms uh, online events as well so basically for us this because Akadu has always been a QR code a QR code that you just scan and then you can select the language you want to listen that is Akadu for offline events you are in a congress scan the QR code select the language that's it but for online events, the same. You have an online event, then you scan the QR code and you pay. The only thing that we have done more maybe because we're online is we also have put video. So now now some clients have their own conference platforms like corporate like WebEx or they have Microsoft Teams or even Zoom. And then they want the audience to scan the QR code and to listen to translation, but sometimes it's not convenient because even a phone and listening to translation, but I'm watching on the laptop. Still, it's like two devices, but still, in the mobile phone, they get the translation very good from a card. Uh, but now we put video. So now we have some clients, hey, then just let me do everything in a card. Let me stream my event in a card. So people just scan the QR code and can watch the video and can select the language. So this is a little bit the direction that we have going on, like a multilingual video streaming platform. Exactly. That's, that's an interesting pivot to see yeah. a quick reaction to a sudden market change and uh, respond to it so quickly. Um, 
going back to the, those early days, I know that you, you raised an early stage, uh, you didn't raise money. So was it, bef I, I think it was before, I remember I saw something on LinkedIn. Um, what was it like to raise money? And it was it in China? Like, would you mind to talk about the experience of raising money in China as a foreign entrepreneur? So first was um, the beginning of last year, uh, but it was private investment. So we had uh, four private investors, and and through convertible notes, we just took their money, and then they were just waiting so we can officially fundraise to give them valuations, which are discount rate, a little bit more, because of the risk that they took at the beginning. So that was like kind of the first first round, just angel investors. Uh, then, last end of last year, around this uh, November, December, then we fundraised from an investment fund. Uh, this was a Chinese investment fund. Uh, also, uh, headquartered in Shanghai, I had to go to Shanghai to meet the, the, the people, all the people in Beijing, and, and they met us through the accelerator of Tsinghua, actually. Because accelerator of Tsinghua, they have a department that do many events uh, about blockchain. Uh, they wanted translation as well. They wanted translation. I guess also supporting us because we were at that time. At that time, it was offline everything. Then they want to support us. They pay for our service. It's very nice of them. Uh, but then sometimes they invite a foreign speaker to talk about blockchain. So then it kind of was needed for them because the many students want to learn as well about blockchain. And since one audience remotely is a QR code, somebody shared the QR code outside, and then one person. Uh, experience account and then contact the organizer and say, hey, what is this company? You know, at that time it was a little bit broken account, but still with, with bugs, right? But still, they, they saw it, they saw it, and then they, it seems that they liked the idea. So then they came to the, ac the accelerator to meet us, and then they explained that um, they invest in startups, also startups that can maybe use uh, voice recognition, because one of the LP is uh, AI speech, is a mm -hmm. big voice recognition company here in, in China. So they were saying that uh, this project could be interesting you know, for, for their peers, for them. So yeah, it, then we we just meet them. Okay, now sounds very easy, but of course, besides them, there were like 50 more investors that we met and got rejected, but that's part of the journey. <laughs> so yeah, it was it was hard. It was fundraising, it's not easy, but it's not easy because we are foreigners. It's not easy because as an entrepreneur, try to get money, a lot of, <laughs> from an investor, uh, an investment fund, it, it's hard because you're going to be challenged. They're going to question what you are doing. Um, and yeah, I, I can understand. One, one advantage that we had, uh, so I think the disadvantage, one of the disadvantages is because uh, I'm a foreigner. So sometimes they can challenge that. Like, well, I'm afraid I'm going to give you several millions from India and you may go back to your country. No? I and can that, understand that. that that's, that's a common, that's a common uh, belief. Uh, and uh, that, that many foreigners kind of feel, and to some degree it's true. Uh, I never heard though a foreigner who actually got money that he went back in his own country. So it's, it, 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 do you think it's a bias that uh, uh, Chinese investors uh, have towards foreign entrepreneurs were? No, I think, no, I think as the investors, they just try to find an excuse to, to attack and to see how is your reaction, to challenge you, right. uh, which is fine. But I, I met other Chinese entrepreneurs, they also have big attack from many ways, poor guys. So the same, the same thing. 
and so I, it's part of, but you know, but you need to mentalize yourself, you know, when you are pitching and you get rejected so many times, of course you get in a very bad mood. So, so when you, but you learn, when you learn, this is part of the process, then we are stronger. And yes, receive the feedback, reply very nicely. And I remember there was one competition, but so one of the biggest advantages that we had, the disadvantage may be foreigner, but one advantage that we had is we had revenue. That I noticed was a difference that's all other startups. I went to competitions and they were, uh, they were all Chinese startups and they were asked uh, their pitching. And, and I remember that investors were challenging the Chinese startups as well, like, yes, very, very cool, but what have you achieved so far? Right. And then the guy, yeah, well, if you give me the money, then maybe I can build this. Then I, I was thinking, wow, poor guy, like, that was a hard question, you know, because I also knew it sounds very good on the BPD, but you, you haven't built even the prototype. And, and then in our case, say, what did you achieve so far? Then I said, well, every month we have this, and we got this client from corporate, like this, and then the investor is different. Oh, sounds interesting. Since you managed to build something, you managed to have a team, and now to get a revenue. Then some funds were in, interested to have a second talk, third talk, at least we got five. So we met like 30, 40 investment funds, but five, to, at least five were serious to go get to the managing partner, are ready to know us, to know more. Uh, two to three are ready to do some check background with our clients. And then two, two TS term sheets are ready to contract. And then we got uh, one investor at the end. So you can see it from 30, 40 to every meeting is to get to the next meeting so you have to pitch just to get the next meeting and to define the decision maker but obviously having revenues it gives you a, a leverage and advantage because investors want to see that you are gaining traction they want to see that there is a validation from the market and, and that's that's where they look and if if they want to come in they want to come in and to help you to scale maybe the infrastructure, maybe the uh, go-to-market strategy and so on and so forth. Do you think um, operating, so you had ex quite some extensive experience working in the Chinese startup ecosystem. Um, do you think Akado would succeed in another region uh, or country? Um, or what's your thought, thought? Have you ever thought about that? So now we are we are mainly focused in in China, but now that we are translating on events, uh, we are getting uh, projects outside of like um, in Japan, like in in Europe, and recently also in Latin America already twice. So we are getting now projects in other uh, cities and other countries. But still, or if you see the our focus is still uh, China market, but we are translation right. So if we're translation and there is a project in China, an organization that needs live stream in different languages, definitely is because I already have some partners in other cities and countries that need. So these guys also experience a cargo and then they contact us later. Hey, I need this for another project, but it's not already, it's not anymore connected with China. It's just between Germany and um, Colombia, mm. for example. And there is a project with some speakers and they want to live stream. Yeah, so that's how we get uh, clients outside of China, so, but no, it's not on purpose. We're promoting ourselves in overseas. But still so it's, it's virtually almost uh, any language to any language, from any language to any language translation, live translation. Yeah, it's to any, from any language to, a, to any language. Mm -hmm. Also, because of the coronavirus now, more interpreters are reaching us 
uh, asking to, to be part of our pool so they can also remotely can work and do interpretation. Right. Um, that's interesting. Um, one last uh, question that I have for you. What is the, the impact that you as a founder want to have? Co-founder. <laughs> the, the impact? Oh, well, uh, the main reason I started ACABU in the University of Tsinghua is because there were so many lectors and classes that were in Chinese, and many foreign students, they couldn't learn from the amazing content that was being delivered by the, the Chinese professor. So, and sometimes there were also foreign speakers that they were making an amazing pitch and some Chinese students couldn't understand. So uh, the reason Akadu, what we started is because we wanted to give opportunity to all the students to learn in their own language regardless of the language used by the speaker. No? So that is the, the vision. No? We believe in Akadu that everyone has the right to learn, no matter the language they speak. So this is the kind of the vision. So this is the direction that we are going. That's the impact we want to do. Because now, for example, uh, Giorgio, let's say we organize an event and we invite a very, very successful woman. Let's do it. A Chinese, a Chinese woman. And she's doing this online event and this is sharing all the experiences, the ups and downs and how she overcome them and how at the end she became successful. And she's talking just in Chinese. But let's say somehow we can stream it and also translate it into India or uh, into, into Hindu or into English. And let's say this QR code of Akadu is shared through social media in arrives to someone in a, some village in India. And it's a little lady that she's lost in her life and she doesn't know what to do. But suddenly, thanks to Akadu, she can learn from this amazing woman talking in Chinese. And that can change her life. Sometimes a good speech can change someone's life. Sometimes you are lost in your life. And just because you hear the right sentence, the right content, you just do wake up. And you know what to do next. Can't you imagine how much impact we can do by allowing all this amazing content being streamed in different languages? You are not limited now to learn, people, to learn from people that talk your own language. Now you can learn from everyone. This is amazing, Giorgio. This <laughs> Sorry, is amazing. This is amazing. <laughs> Bring, bringing down, that's a good pitch, by the way. Bringing down those uh, language barrier and uh, enable people who maybe not speak uh, a, a specific uh, language, which is English, whether it's Chinese. Um, it's, it's an interesting, uh, it's interesting vision that uh, brings people more closer and uh, together and allow them to share thoughts and ideas. Uh, Alvaro, thank you for your time. It was an interesting uh, conversation to know more about Akkad and uh, have you on the post podcast to share the story. Uh, you did to Giorgio to ask me, what does Akkad mean? Can you ask me that question? Please. Uh, actually, I was thinking about asking this question, but then it just faded. Uh, so that's why I'm writing all the time the question. But uh, yeah, what's the story behind the name? Very good question, Giorgio. Thanks for asking. So, <laughs> be, be ready. 3,000 years ago, in the Middle East, there was a city called Babylon City. And the citizens were building a tower called the Babel Tower with one unique purpose, to reach heaven. Now, based on the Bible, God was never happy with that idea. 
So police the citizens and makes them talk different languages so they cannot communicate and they cannot finish the tower. Now, my dear Giorgio, these are all the stories. But in real life, 3,000 years ago, in Babylon City, the language which the citizens were talking is called Akkadian. Akkadian is a forgotten language. It doesn't exist anymore, but it existed. And if you Google it, you will see they have in their vocabulary a lot of words. One of the words is Akkadu. Akkadu means something coming from Akkadian culture and language. So in honor to that forgotten language, we call ourselves Akkadu. Thank you very much. <laughs> I have, to come, I have to confess, this is an interesting story. I have to tell you even that I, I did bachelor, in my bachelor I, I did languages. And actually I did linguistics and this story actually, uh, I've learned about this, uh, this story that the, the Babylonian, there was all the life, like all the books, all the knowledge, and there was one language. And the God kind of like punished uh, humanity by destroying this uh, place and gave them uh, uh, the inability to, for, to the ability to forget this language, and uh, they had people had to learn different languages. <laughs> so the, this created a lot of uh, barriers between people and so on and so forth. So, but the twist is that I didn't actually saw it as a punishment at the end of the day by God, but what I saw it is more as a challenge that. God gave to people to actually come back and find a solution to all these multiple languages, which you actually have been working on. Yes. Yeah, so uh, that's interesting. Anyway. Um, actually, also, Giorgio, um, uh, Akkadian have an alphabet and have different letters. Uh, so one of the letters comes of the A, and from that letter, we got a logo Akkadu. So Akadu, the logo of Akadu, comes from the alphabet as well of Akkadian, actually. So it's, it's connected. There is history behind the logo. <laughs> and there's also a movie with the rock, I think. It's at Akkadian, I don't know what's the name, the king or the scorpion king, something like that. Mm -hmm. You should see that. Okay. <laughs> anyway, Alvaro, thank you for uh, joining the... We can, we can conclude it, can finish our podcast and interview on that note. So thank you again for joining the podcast. It was a blast. Mm, okay. Thanks you for inviting me. Bye-bye. <laughs> Have a good one. Bye.